Hello, welcome to the Lean of Plants podcast. My name is Chelsea, and if you are struggling to lose weight on a plant-based diet, then this podcast is for you. While there are thousands of books, podcasts, and resources about the benefits of a plant-based diet, the reality is that being vegan does not guarantee losing weight. If you are feeling frustrated and confused about where to start, or you know exactly what you should be doing, but you just can't seem to rustle up enough willpower to do it, then keep listening. In this podcast, you'll learn the truth about plant-based weight loss, but just as importantly, how to use proven methods of behavioral change to turn what you know into lifelong habits that lead to getting and staying lean. Can't wait to get started. Let's do this. Hello, hello, welcome to the podcast. My name is Charles and I am so obsessed with helping you to develop new habits that lead you to your goals and change your ingrained behaviors. These are the kind of things that have helped me to lose 40 pounds, start a business, live my life fully, even though there's a lot of difficult things in it. My husband uh, has multiple sclerosis. I've had depression. There's a lot of things that aren't super positive, but I believe that change is possible and I've seen that happen time and time again. And I was thinking about this recently and analyzing what are some of the mindsets that I have and the mantras that I have that help me to do a lot of difficult things and really progress in my habits and change my behaviors. I've identified that there's four key mindsets that I have and then there's mantras that I have around that that I'm talking to myself constantly to help me develop it and I really think that if you have these mindsets, if you believe these four key things that I'm going to talk to you about, you will be successful no matter what. These will set you apart from 90% of the population that does not have them and it is why they struggle so much. So as you're listening to this, if you're identifying, hey, I don't actually believe that, that's not something that I, I do, then you can start changing that. You can start shifting that through using mantras and positive affirmation, positive words, and we're going to talk about exactly how to do that. Before we get into those four things, I wanted to address something that I've come to realize over the past couple of weeks as I've been a bit more self-reflective thinking about coming up with this podcast episode. I realized that most of my self-talk is exceptionally positive. And the reason that I realized this is that I had a few people around me and friends and people that I know, people that are... Uh, kind of in my world, I had I had some people say things about themselves that really made me realize that I don't say those things. Things like, I'm weak, I'm ugly, I'm fat, like those horrible kind of things that a lot of us have said to ourselves. And I realized that I, I don't say those things and that most of the time I'm very, very positive to myself and, and what I say. But... Here's the thing about it. I have all of these very positive uh, affirmations and words and a lot of self-talk, but I'm distinct 
from my default position, which is, I would say, mostly negative. And what I mean by this is that the places that my brain goes and the things that my brain tells me are very different from the words that I say to combat that. It's almost like there's our brain, which is the thinker, or uh, there's kind of all these emotions that come with that. There's default thought patterns. There's that. There's that that's happening. But then I'm distinct from my brain. I'm distinct from what's going on there and what that brain is telling me. And then I have almost like this conversation where I'm talking back. So I I distinguish myself and I distance myself from my default thoughts. But then I have a conversation with them. And I've realized that a lot of people think that to have a good mindset or to have positive affirmations happening inside of them that they need to change their default thought patterns and I actually don't think that that's true I think that a lot of our default thought patterns are going to be based on experience they're going to be based on uh, what drives us inherently Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit into the Enneagram and would love to hear if you are too Uh, But there's different motivations that we can see, whether you're into the Enneagram or not. We know that there are different motivations that different personality types have. So for me, I'm very, very motivated by this idea of success and what I deem as successful. So pushing myself to progress and be successful is mostly motivated by this inherent kind of idea that if I don't, I'm not enough. Like I'm not good enough unless I'm succeeding. So that's kind of like a default position of my brain. My brain is is doing that. And I recognize that. Like I recognize that if I don't combat that, that's where, that's the the thought pattern that my brain has. So I think that positive self-talk is mostly about how you respond to those default thought patterns. And it's that internal dialogue. And we don't... We may not have a ton of control over what your brain, what our brains are telling us, but we have 100% control and influence over how we respond in that conversation. It's like a bully coming up to you and saying, you suck, you stink. And we go, I don't care what you think. (laughs) Like, who are you? Like, uh, this is, this is the truth. Like, I'm, I'm worthwhile. I am resilient. I am strong. I don't care what you think. Like, It does not matter. So we get to influence that side of it. But I think part of this is realizing that we are distinct from some of our default thought patterns. And there's a story that you've probably heard. And it's of this internal battle between good and evil. And I'm just going to read the story. It says, one evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather which wolf wins. 
The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. I think that our thought processes are the same. I think that the voice that we feed, the voice that we choose to say in response is the one that ultimately wins. I think that this gives us a lot of freedom. I think it gives a lot of hope to me and hopefully to you as well because it makes you realize that no matter what kind of thoughts come at you, no matter what kind of default patterns you currently have, you get to control how you respond to that. You get to influence and change the dialogue that you have. And I know a lot of people right now, when they have that feeling of, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm gross, they accept that as gospel instead of challenging it. And so what happens is, it's, it's almost like you're feeding that wolf that's saying that. You're feeding those thoughts because you don't challenge them. And you can. You can go, you know what? I don't believe that. And then that's where you use positive affirmations and mantras. I love mantras. We're going to talk about that a lot because I'm obsessed with them. And I didn't even realize until recently how much dialogue I have using mantras. You get to actually combat that and you go, you can say something that actually builds up and feeds that wolf that you want that is moving you in the direction that is consistent with the goals that you want to achieve and the kind of person that you want to become. So as a bit of a recap, positive mindsets, positive affirmations, positive self-talks are more about your response than they are about the default position. You get to have control over how you respond. And that does in turn start to change those default thought patterns as well. So let's get into some of the mindsets that are going to be most important, imperative, I would even say, to you being successful on a weight loss journey or really any journey. And that first one is taking radical responsibility. I've realized recently that this is the default position that I take in life. And a lot of people that I talk to don't have it. And I can almost tell as soon as I talk to someone and as soon as I start hearing their reasons for why they can't do something or why it's difficult or why they haven't seen the success that they want, I can tell within about 30 seconds whether that person is someone who takes responsibility and has a hero's mindset or they have a, a victim mindset, which is, these are the, the kind of the opposites. And I know, <laughs> the thing is, is the people that have a hero's mindset, they might be struggling just as much as someone who has a victim's mindset. The difference is that the, the hero mindset or the radical responsibility position is that you take responsibility for the position that you are in right now. You take responsibility for where you are and you take responsibility for fixing it. So you say, I am the reason that I'm in the position that I'm in. Not someone else, not something outside of my control, not my spouse, my teenagers, my boss, my personality type, my upbringing, my hormones, my age. You say instead, I am a creative divergent thinker, I think this is important, I can make things happen, 
I can create change for myself. I have influence. I can think of ways to solve these problems. I have the ability to grow. Growth mindset comes into this a lot. And that is simply that I am capable of change. Radical responsibility is that you take responsibility for change. And the first time that I really, really heard about this and and started to take it on was in Stephen Covey's book, which is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this is actually the first habit. Like that book is so famous. If you have not read it, I really recommend it. But the first habit is be proactive. And being proactive is all about taking this position of responsibility. And he talks about this gap between stimuli and response. So stimuli is anything that is happening on to you, anything that acts upon you, whether that is physical or uh, emotional or something that is non-physical. For example, the weather, that is something that acts upon you. If it's raining, it acts upon you. If it is someone yelling at you, someone belittling you, that is something that is acting upon you. That is stimuli. It's external stimuli. Internal stimuli could be those intrusive thoughts. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable of change. That's still some kind of stimuli acting upon you to try and influence your behavior. But you are distinct from it. And between that stimuli and who you are, you have the ability to respond. You can't change all of that stimuli, but you can change how you respond. And he says that responsibility is the ability to respond. So response, ability. You have the ability 100% of the time to respond and that you have the responsibility to do that in a way where you are trying to influence the outcomes. And a lot of people take responsibility. They take responsibility for uh, their responses and what they do. But not many people take radical responsibility where they go, I have so much influence over situations, over what I do and my response, and that I am not going to give this away I'm not going to let anyone else or any circumstances take the freedom that I have and my ability, my God-given ability to respond. No one can take that away from me. And so when you do this and you don't allow external or internal stimuli to be an excuse for why an outcome happened or why you responded a certain way, when that crutch is taken away, you start to get super creative. And this is where I talked about divergent thinking. Divergent thinking is this really kind of interesting concept. And they reckon that pretty much every child is born with this divergent genius and that it isn't until we start to go to school and we start to think about things in terms of right and wrong and yes and no and black and white and very binary uh, that there's only one answer to the question that you can you you know if you don't remember the exact date you're going to fail the test it's only until we start to be shaped by that ideology that we lose our divergent genius but kids and all of us are actually born with it and 
divergent thinking is really just this idea that there are multiple answers to one question. That there are multiple ways to solve the same question or the same problem. And I was playing as a bit of a game with my daughter the other day. Because I really want her to understand how important this is and not lose it. And so we started this we started this game where I was like, what's all the things that you can do with a stone? What can you do with a stone? So we went through some of the really normal ones. Like you can build a statue with it. You can make bricks. You can uh, make a path. All of the ones that you would normally think of. But then we started to think about this, the answer in a bit more of a divergent way. So some of the things that we came up with was things like you could put it in someone's shoe, put it in an enemy's shoe, and that that would be something that made them not be able to run as fast or slowed them down because you put the stone in their shoe. You could put some stones into a sack and sell them as potatoes and trick someone, which is not a good idea, but... I love that she came up with this because it was a very divergent way of thinking about the uses of a stone. And there was all these different ones that my daughter came up with. Like some of them were so, I can't even remember, I wish I'd written them down. But some of them were like, an adult would never think of that. Because it was so, it was such a weird use of it. And it was such a creative way to think about it. And when when we actually start to take responsibility it allows us to tap into divergent thinking because you can't pass the buck to anyone else. So for a really like easy kind of example of this, a common kind of question or common problem that people come up with is their environment. And we're, we're actually going to talk about environment. If, you, if you're into this podcast and you've been here a while, you know environment is so incredibly important to success. And I'm going to get into a bit of why uh, later on in the podcast. But environment is something that a lot of people feel that they don't have control over and that they don't take radical responsibility for and some of the things uh, that people will say is you know my spouse my spouse won't change the way they're doing my teenagers aren't uh, like they don't they don't want me to buy this kind of food Um, my you know my there's I, I can't get it out of the house and it's it's almost like the ability to have that situation the way that this person wants has been abdicated. They're not taking responsibility. And this, like, I don't want this to feel judged. I don't want you to feel judged in this if you're in this situation, if you've said this. I just want you to start thinking about this in a different way. And like I said, this mindset right here, I believe is the most important because if you don't take radical responsibility, all these other ones that I'm going to talk about become almost impossible to follow through on because they, as soon as it gets difficult, as soon as there's not an obvious answer, as soon as there's some kind of obstacle, you go, well, I can't do that anymore. It's out of my control. But if you always say, this is my responsibility, I take radical responsibility for the outcomes. I will not let obstacles be the reason that I stop and I give up. You unlock a power within to start thinking about things differently so in this example if you take radical responsibility and you go you know what that's just another obstacle and you 
were to say, I'm going to think of and I'm going to write down 50 ways that I could possibly overcome this. Let's, let's just break it down to something like uh, my teenagers won't be happy with uh, if I stop buying snacks for them. And you go, I'm going to write down 50 ways that I could solve this problem because I take responsibility for the outcomes that I want. I could have a difficult conversation. I could incentivize them with treats or time spent with me or money. Like we're not thinking of a right answer here. It's quantity. It's not quality, right? It's just that there are options. I could ask them to cook or I could say you if you want to eat snacks you can eat them outside of the home I could create a drawer that they knew the combination for and that I didn't that kept their snacks in it they could buy them they could keep them in their room Uh, we could have them on one day of the week when I wasn't there there's so many different ways the thing is is like I, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this but there's a million different ways that you could potentially solve that problem but you never get to them and you never start thinking about them unless you take radical responsibility and so the internal mantra that I have for this is that I have responsibility and that I have so much influence and I really recommend that you read this book because it will challenge so many ideas that you have around here but when you look at uber successful people, they they just don't stop when those obstacles come. And they make they make stuff happen. And I remember trying to use this when I was working in a cafe. And I, I kind of just, I took this idea that I was like, I, I, I have radical responsibility here. What could I do to become the manager of the kitchen essentially and so I started to ask more I started to put myself in these very uncomfortable situations where I'd be like hey can I try this can I can I have a go at cooking on the front Um, can we do things this way could what if I was to do this would that be helpful for you actually talking to people actually giving them options uh, putting things in place where it made it more likely for me to get the outcomes that I wanted, being creative about that, trying to find win-win situations so it was more likely for me to get the outcomes that I wanted to have. And then actually really, really quickly when I started applying that, I was able to progress in the kitchen from someone who was making sandwiches and doing dishes to being running the kitchen and being the manager within the back end of the kitchen which was awesome like it it was so exciting to be able to progress and do that really really quickly when I took radical responsibility so I didn't wait for someone to be like hey do you want to try this it was like I was taking responsibility to put myself out there to go and fail fast and ask for those things so start using this and the internal mantra that I have is just I have responsibility any situation any kind of difficult thing I think about that gap. I think about the internal or external stimuli and that I can't always control that. But when I start to control my response and when I take responsibility for how I respond, that my circle of influence starts to shift and that I will become more and more and more influential 
of the outcomes, the more that I take radical responsibility for my response. So please start taking this on. Start telling yourself in those moments when you would normally give up and you normally say like, I don't have any control over this. I don't have any say. Take responsibility. I have responsibility. The second one that I believe is extremely influential for my life is that things that are difficult and hard and stressful and uncomfortable aren't inherently negative. And so I don't use hard as an excuse anymore. And it's so funny, once you start to notice this, you'll see it everywhere, where people use hard as an excuse all the time. And they will be like, oh, well, you know, it's really hard. Like, okay, yep, I, I, I can't. I can't get out to exercise. I'm, I'm really busy. My kids are at school and then I have to go to this and I, it's really hard to find time. It's like, okay. And people use hard as an excuse. And I do as well. I really do. But the internal dialogue that I have with myself and the mindset that I, I have at this point is that hard is not a good enough excuse because hard in and of itself does not have to be negative. This is the real important part here. Hard gets to be an excuse when you see hard as negative because then it becomes a factor that offsets any kind of benefit. And the degree that it offsets it will be the degree that you use it as an excuse. What I mean by that is that if it's really, really hard to go out and find time to exercise and restructure your entire schedule and organize a babysitter, blah, 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 then that level of difficulty, even if the payoff is huge to you doing that, you're going to see that level of difficulty, that obstacle to overcome is going to be, it's going to cancel out the positive of actually doing it. Because the negative, you if you're seeing it as kind of like a scale, you've got the positive and that's amazing benefit, but then you've got the negative and it outweighs it. So then the overall benefit of doing anything is, is nil. It's nothing because you've cancelled it out. But instead, when you start to see hard as opportunity or you don't see it as negative, then it's really hard. It's really hard. You don't have as much of this kind of compensating factor or this cancelling out factor because it doesn't cancel it out. And my kids say this to me all the time. They're like, mom, it's really, it's really hard to take out the compost. It's really, really hard to tidy my room. I'm like, yep, it is. It is hard. And (laughs) so what? So what that is hard? Why does that have to be a factor? Why is that canceling anything else out? Life is hard. It is hard. Guess what? It's okay that it's hard. That's not a negative thing. So what if instead of seeing hard as this thing that we used to cancel out why we wouldn't do something or why something is less achievable and instead instead of that, we started to see hard as necessary, but not only necessary as a phenomenal opportunity for growth. What if when we started to say it's hard, we saw that as a positive instead of a negative? 
Now, remember what I said, if you don't use radical responsibility, none of these things are really going to be possible. And this is a prime example of that. Because if you don't use that radical responsibility, then hard becomes an obstacle for why you can't do something. But when you've said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to take that responsibility and respond in a way that is congruent with my goals and the person that I want to be. Hard, yes, can be an obstacle, but when you see that obstacle as positive for becoming who you want to be, that is less of a factor as well, which is incredibly amazing. It means that you can turn hard situations into opportunities for growth and development of character. And I, the, re, the way that I think about this is kind of like strength training. So what happens when you're trying to build muscle is that you're actually creating these micro tears in your muscle. And you really only grow when you get to failure or you get those little tiny micro tears and then muscle growth is how is repairing that. So you need it to be hard for there to be growth. And it's the same with fitness. You have to push yourself to your limits for there to be growth. So the hard of exercise and strength training is actually positive because it is the environment that is necessary for there to be change for there to be any kind of growth there. So you can start to see hard in the same way. And maybe the first step to this is rather than seeing hard as opportunity, is just not using it as a factor. So you can start to see hard as almost like this neutral thing. I like to try and see it as opportunity, but if you can't do that, see it as neutral. So no one would say, what I mean by neutral is, what if instead of it hard, what if it was green? And you said, you know what, I, I can't find time to exercise. I can't, ta- I can't eat healthy because it's green. But what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because it's not a factor. <laughs> the color of something is not a factor, right? What if you see hard that way and you stop giving so much power to it as something that outweighs? So a mantra that I've started to kind of use with my kids is uh, so recently the little bit of a backstory with this recently Riley has had some people at her school who haven't really wanted to play with her and my initial response to hearing this like she had a couple of bad days and I was like I want to go and talk to the teacher I want to go and tell these kids like what's wrong with you and what I realized is that she doesn't I can't change the world out there I can't make this life comfortable and pleasant 100% of the time for my child instead she's actually gonna have to learn to be resilient and strong in an environment that is gonna tear is gonna tear her down if she lets it if she gives it that power so instead of seeing this negative situation as something that was terrible I was like you know what this actually can be turned into a positive and this is how you turn hard and difficult and stressful and uncomfortable into positive so you got I went okay this is an opportunity for her to learn resilience because she's sure as heck gonna have to learn it sometime so we came up with this little mantra and my girls say it all the time now and I flip and love it and I started to say it as well and that is I am strong 
I am resilient. I am loved. And so what that does it, it, is it, it allows her in those situations where she feels offended, she feels unloved, she feels uh, that she's like people don't like her. It's flipping it to opportunity for her to develop character traits that are going to help serve her her entire life. I am strong. That means that I am capable of overcoming this uncomfortable feeling that I'm feeling right now. That's a positive. It's growth. It's like working out at the gym, right? It's opportunity. I am resilient. That means that when those situations happen to me, when people don't like me, I'm okay in and of myself because I am developing resilience and I am loved that even if these people don't like me, I know that there are people that do. I know that my family loves me. They care for me. That that person saying, I don't want to play with you, does not shake that belief that I am loved because I'm reminding myself of this. So it turns that negative into an opportunity for growth. And we get to do this with the word hard, with our thoughts around difficulty. And I've started to reframe this in how I see... <laughs> so funny. Oh, there's so much around this. But I I have this thing where I take so much radical responsibility I, and I so much believe that I can change the outcomes and things that and I, I don't know where exactly this comes from. But I credit so much of it to my parents and the way that I was raised and believing that I could do anything. But there are things that I can't change. There are horrible situations. There are horrible things that happen that I have, I have influence over my response, but I don't have influence over the situation itself. One of them being Nick's condition. I can't change that. No matter how hard I try. Like we have tried so many things. Please don't message me and tell me about some random obscure person or drug or protocol. We know every single one of them. Nick is constantly reading up of it. He's done a year fully raw. He's drunk celery juice. He has read all the books. Like we've done everything. And we've got influence over our response, but ultimately in this situation, I can't change it. I can't change the fact that he has got multiple sclerosis. So the only thing I can change is how I respond to that situation. And one of the things that Stephen Covey talks about in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a guy called Viktor Frankl. Is how I first heard about Viktor Frankl, and then I've since read his book, which is Man's Search for Meaning, another phenomenal book. Highly recommend it. And he was stuck in a concentration camp. He couldn't change that situation, but what he realized was that the only thing that couldn't be taken from him, because literally everything was, he had a manuscript that he had been working on his entire life. It was his life's work was taken from him the first day. And he saw all of these people basically turn into just products of their environment, become almost animals through their experience in the camps, whether they were the guards or whether they were the prisoners. And what he realized that there was only a few people who took that radical responsibility to choose how they responded to the situation and keep, in essence, what made them human intact. 
and that he could do that even though he couldn't really choose whether he was going to live or die unless he actually went and committed suicide which a lot of people did so reframing this in how you respond and even the response to difficult situations being opportunity for you to grow in your character even if you can't ultimately change the situation that does change something that changes something within you so I used to really catastrophize over things that were out of my control and mostly it was things that had happened in the past where I was really regretful or I was like I can't I feel like I should be able to change this but I couldn't because it was gone for example we had a house that we tried to bid on and we got outbid and I was I was really set on getting this house and I just crumbled because I was like we should have bid more or like I, I felt like that opportunity that had gone I felt like I should be able to change the outcome and the same thing happened when we were in America and it sounds so small this is how petty I am a lot of the time Um, my daughter lost this jumper that we bought for her jersey jumper what do you guys call it what does Americans call it like a hoodie (laughs) Um, a hoodie and I kind of agonized over spending it was like 40 bucks or something that we spent on it and it was something that I wanted to really last. She really loved it. We didn't buy like any clothes when we were there except for like a few little things. And I was like, Morgan will be able to have it. And I, I, she just really, really loved this hoodie. And she left it in a hotel in Pismo Beach. And we were in LA flying out on Monday. There was no way that we could ship it in time. There was no way that we could get it. And I tried everything. Like I reached out to the hotel. I figured out how much it was going to cost to ship it it was going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars to express ship it I tried to see if there was anyone from my following that was driving down from Pismo Beach to LA like literally took very radical proactive action to try and see if we could recover this hoodie and realized that I couldn't essentially what it was gone and that that pain that I felt like that was it seems like a small thing but I was so distraught about that I was crying and crying and I was just like why why didn't we check why didn't we why did she just kind of hide it in the pit so that we didn't see it and and I was so distraught from it and I was so emotionally cut up about it and when I came out of that I realized that my response had been so wrong and it had been it had just been so negative to something that really didn't matter all that much and I I was able to identify that when things happen in the past that I can't control or when I genuinely come up against scenarios that I can't influence I tend to crumble and I tend to just really get into a bad place because most of the time I do see positive ways of overcoming it and when I don't I fall and I falter and I go mental (laughs) and I realized in that moment that there was only one thing or one way that I could make that into a positive situation and that would be as if I saw that as a learning opportunity for me to not be such a crazily obsessed person with something that I couldn't control 
and become someone who was more chill because I want to be a chill person I really really do it is not my default with things like that and so I was like you know what every time that something outside of my control happens especially if it's in the past I am going to from here on out start to see that as an opportunity for me to practice being a chill person and I cannot tell you how much this reframe has changed me over the past couple of months. It has now got to the point when something horrible happens and I can't change it because it's the past. Because you can't change the past. Like we don't have a time machine. I'm now in my head, this like word, it's almost like a neon lights. This word flashes in my head and it's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. And I'm like, oh, okay, opportunity this is opportunity. This is another, this is another practice. I'm going to be practicing being a chill person. I'm going to be practicing. This doesn't have to affect me all that much. And I've, and I'm starting to like, it's crazy because this little mantra of opportunity to change, opportunity to change and seeing it is like, this is no longer negative. There's only one way for it to become positive, which is me to use it as a learning experience. It has changed everything. So this is where we get to decide how we see difficult, stressful, uncomfortable, negative, hard situations. And we get to reframe those as opportunity for us to become stronger. And it's been it's been actually really freeing to realize that I have that ability. And it's really just putting in the reps. It's really just practicing that. And the default position, this is the thing, the default voice, that default mind that I have, those default patterns of this is horrible, you mucked up, what are we going to do? Like everything is ruined. Like that's where my mind goes, everything's ruined. I can't handle it. Those thoughts are still there, but my response has changed and that's the positive spin on it. So stop using hard as an excuse. It's not a good enough excuse especially when you start to see that as a positive. So those difficult situations, those obstacles that you face, you can see them as opportunities to get better, get stronger, and to overcome those obstacles. So the third one is fail faster. I've talked about this a lot before, and I have it written up on my wall because I believe that it's incredibly important. And The reason that fail faster is so incredibly important to success is that the the real problem with not failing is that you don't take action. And when you don't take action, you can't learn. You can't grow and you can't improve. So failure is so important that we minimize the detriment of it and that we get okay with it because if we don't, then we, sh- we will never grow because without failure it's just if you same thing if you think about building muscle if you think about getting fit if you don't fail if it's always easy you cannot get better if you don't push yourself you can't improve so if you don't fail you never get anywhere so we need to be able to reframe failure and put failure in its place so instead of going what if I fail this is the kind of like the internal dialogue I have what if I fail well what if I fail I get to learn 
It means I've taken action. It means I know what to do the next time, possibly. I get it out of the way. That's not too bad. It's not a big deal if I fail. But what if I don't fail? That means I can't learn and I can't grow and I don't get to where I want to be. So not failing becomes really the thing that's detrimental. That's the actual negative because then I'm not getting closer to where I want to be. So starting to reframe what failure looks like. Failure means that I'm pushing myself. That's another thing. Because if I don't push myself, I'm not going to fail, right? And so if I want to succeed big, if I want to get to these big, hairy goals, then I'm going to have to fail more times so that I can succeed. So I may as well get it over with. I may as well do it quickly so that I can start taking more action. Failure, the most important part about this is that you must take action and failing means that you are taking action. So it's reframing this from being focused on outcomes and being focused on success and then you go, well, I can't fail so I won't try. And instead, understanding that success is a result of a thousand tiny actions or a thousand attempts and that the more that you attempt, the more likely that you are to reach that goal. So it reframes this idea of success being about actually not failing because we kind of think of well, success and failure, they're, they're kind of the opposites, but they're not, all right? Then it's not one or the other. It's really just that a million failures and a million little tiny action steps are what lead to success. So failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is part of the process of being successful. So what I have to do in my own head is minimize the failure being a big deal. Because if I don't fail, then I'll stay stuck. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to minimize the effects of failure, minimize how uncomfortable that is, but then also make the process of not failing feel worse or understand that it is so much worse and that if I don't fail, then I will not be moving forward. So failure is good. It means that I'm trying things. It means that I'm pushing myself. It means I can learn quicker. Not failing means that something's wrong. It means that I'm never pushing myself or trying things outside of my comfort zone. So we've got to really, really normalize failure and not be scared of trying. And this is the thing, like I said, action changes everything. Action is the priority here. So failing faster is really just a way of making us take action quicker so that we can learn and we can grow and we can keep taking more and more action because that propels us towards success. So being okay with failure is mostly about prioritizing action over results, results which then in turn is going to bring better results. And I wanted to read a little story and this is from the book Atomic Habits and it's all about why this is so important. Okay, so on the first day of class, Jerry... Olsman, professor at the University of Florida, divided his film photography students into two groups. Everyone in the left side of the classroom, he explained, would be in the quantity group. They would be graded solely on the amount of work they produced. On the final day of class, he would tally the number of photos submitted by each student. 100 photos would be rate an A, 90 photos a B, 80 photos a C, and so on. Meanwhile, everyone on the right side of the room would be in the quality group. They would be graded only on the excellence of their work. 
They would only need to produce one photo during the semester, but to get an A, it had to be a nearly perfect image. At the end of the term, he was surprised to find that all the best photos were produced by the quantity group. During the semester, these students were busy taking photos, experimenting with composition and lighting, testing out various methods in the darkroom, and learning from their mistakes. In the mean, in the process of creating hundreds of photos, they honed their skills. Meanwhile, the quality group sat around speculating about perfection. In the end, they had little to show for their efforts other than an unverified, unverified theories and one mediocre photo. He goes on to say, it's easy to get bogged down trying to find the optimal plan for change, the fastest way to lose weight, the best program to build muscle, the perfect idea for a side hustle. We are so focused on figuring out the best approach that we never get around to taking action. As Voltaire once wrote, the best is the enemy of the good. And I love that because it's such a good example of how important it is for us to take continual action if we want to be successful. So make that barrier to trying to change smaller. Something that I quite often say to myself to minimize that that failure barrier is that I success is just about trying. So I do a speed workout for a run every week. It's written into my schedule and I fail at it a lot like I'm not able to fully complete it something will go wrong and I'm really resistant to going and trying it because it's really difficult so I've had to reframe that from this idea of success will be going out and doing the workout successfully to being success will be going and trying to do the workout regardless of whether I actually complete it or not so I've had to lower that barrier to entry so that I actually go out and do it and then that and then I go well you know what it's okay if I fail because at least I'm trying and every time that I go and try that at least I'm getting better even if I don't feel like I am because otherwise I wouldn't do it if I really felt like I had to succeed I wouldn't do it because I know that I'm there's a really really good chance that I fail so one of the mantras that I quite often say to myself is I don't have to get it right I just have to get it going fail fast like that's a huge one learn quickly and then when I'm running I have a lot of these mantras because it's hard and I feel like I'm failing and I have to reframe those voices that come in my head for example I start to think I can't do this it's too hard I'm going to fail I'm not cut out for this I'm failing I'm slow and instead reframe that to it needs to be hard to push me failure is okay just keep trying just keep going And you could use this, this is the same kind of thing when you think about hard being an opportunity, when things are difficult. Instead of that being, oh, this is difficult, therefore I give up. When you're being tempted with cake, you go, it's good that it's hard because this is teaching me to be able to overcome difficulty. This is teaching me to be strong. It should be hard. Or when you have to get up in the morning and go and work out. It's good that this feels difficult because that is pushing me. That is allowing me to to actually change and grow. So failure needs to be okay. We need to normalize it. We need to prioritize action and minimize the consequences of failure. Change really our definition of success to be about action and failing fast. Like you can you can literally 
prioritize failure and let failure be a positive thing. And I've started to do this with my kids. So when they try something, we're actually celebrating failure in our family. Like you say a word wrong, good fail, nice fail. You fall off the playground, epic fall, that was awesome, well done. Why? Because it's starting to normalize and celebrate the process of trying. So you can do the same thing. Fourthly, okay, this is the last one. Environment shapes behavior more than willpower. This is an internal mantra that I have and a mindset that I have that is incredibly important and it's recognizing how strongly environment really shapes who we are and what we do and that we need to take radical responsibility for our environment rather than just beating ourselves up when we don't change. This is all about working smarter rather than harder and that smart people They fight the right kind of battles. They understand the influence of environment over behavior. So they want to make it easier for success rather than making it harder. And this is something really important where you go, if my behavior is not changing, if I'm not doing the things that I say that I'm going to do, then I need to change something in my environment and take radical responsibility for that so that I can shape my behavior better. So this is a, here's an example of this. If you're going scrolling through your phone at night and you want to stop doing that because you want to have some wind down time and have some better sleep, you don't just go, oh, I'm just going to try and make myself do this or I just can't, I can't really do this. It's, it's not really working. Like I never do it. I'm just going to try harder. That's a dumb way of doing things. You're working hard. You're not working smart. You need to take radical responsibility. Recognize that environment shapes behavior more. Move the plug on your phone so that you charge it outside of your bedroom. Simple example. This is what I do as well. If you're consistently eating chocolate, you've got to change something, right? You've got to actually change the environment so you've got to use radical responsibility and go how could I get that out of my house how could I shape my environment to be more conducive to actually staying on plan what would that look like because successful people recognize how important environment is if you don't take responsibility for this area then you're not taking radical responsibility You need to understand how important environment is. So if you are finding that you're not doing the things that you say you want to do and will do, it normally comes back to some kind of environment shift and getting creative about how you can shape an environment that will shape behavior in the way that you want it to go. For example, I really, really struggle with staying focused. I'm constantly looking at my phone. I pick it up. I check my apps. And when I actually, like there's all these things that I do to try and make it harder for myself to do it or I try and use more willpower, I try and stay focused, but realistically, I'm I'm not doing it. I, I'm not, my behavior is so shaped by the fact that my phone is there and it's just too easy to do that. So if I realistically want to succeed there, I have to set up some kind of environmental barrier for myself to do that. And I can do that. Like I can put apps on my phone, this is, can you see how this comes back to radical responsibility? If I was to write down 50 ways for me to solve this problem, I'm sure I could do that. What if I had a worse phone, right? What if I didn't have a smartphone or I got my 
team to change the password to my social media every day so I could literally only go on there when they gave me the new password. James Clear actually did this when he was writing the book Atomic Habits. He knew that it was, I think it was James Clear, it might have been Greg McEwen with Essentialism, but they actually got their their team to only give them the password at a certain point every day so that most of their time was focused on writing. Like smart people do it, do this, all right? I think it was Ernest Hemingway. There's some kind of story. I don't know exactly where I heard it. But he basically burnt all his clothes so that he had nothing to wear so he couldn't leave the house so he could focus on just writing his book. (laughs) Like, isn't that crazy? Because we know that environment is so important for success. So instead of going, oh, I'm just going to try harder. No, you you. Take environment as a factor and I you actually put things in place. Put an app that blocks social media. Change it. Take resp- responsibility there. Um, another one is people. These are just examples. You can apply them to many, many different situations. People that you hang out with. They're going to massively influence the kind of behavior that you want to normalize. I've just started kind of getting to know or hanging out with some people who are runners. And it's starting to feel normal that someone would go out and run the distance of a half marathon or even a full marathon like that behavior is now in the realm of people that I hang out with and so going out and saying to my friend like I did last night hey do you want to run 15k that starts to become normal because the environment has shifted whereas if that feels really really difficult and really hard and really out there and you know normal people don't do that it's much I'm much less likely to do it because That's not being normalized in my environment. And you can take radical responsibility for the kind of people that you hang out with. You can make new friends. You can go and form relationships. You can introduce yourself to people. Like you have, you have so much influence. You can creatively think. You are a divergent thinker. You can write down 50 ways to do something or options of what you could do. It's incredibly powerful. So environment is a huge factor in there. And this is this is one of the things that I've realized that I actually tend to think about this differently to a lot of people. Whereas a lot of people I know will be, oh, I need to try harder. I need to just do it. I need to get more serious. I just need to do it. And I'm never thinking, I just need to do it. I'm always thinking of what's the environmental shift? What's the system shift? How can I change a system that's going to then influence my behavior? How can I you know, pay for a coach or set up my phone or change where I put things or change my house or change the people that I hang out with or some kind of environmental shift. And I I really, really notice it when I talk to people who have been struggling with the same issue consistently and they can't seem to get past that. And they instantly go to, I'm the problem. Whereas I go to the systems, the problem. So this is really, really important. If you want to If you want to overcome these things, you need to start thinking about this as a systems problem. If it's something, especially if it's something where you're consistently not able to overcome it. And a lot of this, a lot of these things are going to be overcome with just changing the way that you see them. But systems and your environment works with those mindsets, right? Like that's a really, really big part of it. Um, For example don't make things harder for yourself than they need to be if you are struggling with these negative thoughts and it's really really hard to combat them that's yes that's an opportunity for you to uh, 
get better, right? But don't make that harder than it needs to be because it's hard enough already. If you are struggling with not feeling good enough and not using that as an opportunity to say, you know what, I am strong, I am resilient, I am loved because you're scrolling through Instagram and watching all these girls that have abs and are 20 years old and you're 50 and you're struggling to say no to cake at night like that's not helpful that's making it way 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 harder than it needs to be and it's not actually genuinely helpful so the overarching the overarching theme here is putting things in place mentally and physically and thinking about this in a way of how can I make this outcome more likely easier reframe it so that success is more likely, make it easier for me to take action. That's all you're doing. It's literally all you're doing here is making it easier and more likely for you to take action on the things that are going to bring you closer to your goal. All of this comes down to the fact that action is what brings results and that we have to take consistent action if we want to get to that goal that we have. That anything that we want to achieve is going to be eventualized by a million tiny steps in that direction with a million failures along the way. So all we're trying to do is remove the obstacles to action, to prioritize action above all, and to empower us to continually take more action by recognizing that it's possible, that we have the responsibility to do that, we have the ability to keep taking action even when we come over from uh, or we come from we have roadblocks in the in the way there and that it being difficult shouldn't be a factor to us stopping that's all we're trying to do it's just action right just take action so with that being said here are your action steps for this episode number one I want you to think about what kind of mindsets you have from these four things what one do you currently have are you someone who takes radical responsibility? You're a, you're a hero, not a victim. Or do you have a bit of a victim mindset where you believe that the outcomes are because of other people or external stimuli or internal stimuli? Do you, number one, have radical responsibility? Do you see hard as a negative? Or are you able to see hard as a positive? Do you have this idea that action is the most important thing and it doesn't have to be right or perfect you just have to get it going and that failure is a necessary part of success do you see environment as important in shaping behavior more than willpower or do you constantly rely on willpower which of these mindsets do you need to work on and if you don't have radical responsibility that's the priority start there because everything else hinges on that so choose one of those things that you want to start working on and create a mantra for yourself in those situations where you need it most here's a few tips for creating little mantras keep them short keep them easy to remember and attach them to specific situations so essentially it's when this happens I will do this when x y when I am told at school that I'm smelly and no one wants to play with me. I will say, I'm strong, I'm resilient, I am loved. That's an example. When I have something happen in the past where I'm upset about it and I feel frustrated and I can't change the outcome, then I will say, 
this is an opportunity for growth. When I'm finding that there is, I can't change a behavioral pattern, I will ask myself, how can I shape environment to change this? How can I modify my environment? How can I change my system? That's an example. It's an if this, then this. Would love to hear your mantras. You can DM me, send us an email. Uh, and if you liked this episode and you found it helpful, then please consider uh, leaving us a review. Me a review. I don't know why I'm saying us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps to get this podcast out to more people. And you may have noticed that I don't do sponsorships. I'm getting asked all the time, but I want this to be purely, purely helpful for you. So that's the way that you can give back is uh, just leaving a review and a bit of a rating. Okay, that's it. And I will see you next week for another episode. All right, bye.